0: Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Wasem
1: and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce.
0: This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. Kyla and I are from the Institute for African American Mentoring in Computing Sciences, or IAMCS. IMCS serves as a national resource for computing students, faculty, and industry professionals. We're funded by the National Science Foundation. Our goals are to increase the number of African Americans receiving doctoral degrees in the computing sciences, to promote and engage students in teaching and training opportunities, and to add more diverse researchers into the advanced technology workforce. This podcast is funded by the
1: National Center for Women in Information Technology, NCWIT is a nonprofit that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the participation of all women in the field of computing.
0: So today we have Dr. Jamika Byrd. Uh, uh, sh- uh, uh, I'm, I'm so like We should like Millie Rod. Oh, okay. okay. They're not ready. Not ready. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know.
1: They might be. I don't know. <laughs> hey, y'all! It's so good to he- be here. Awesome. So we've we have known and admired Jamika for years. Uh Aww. she is just an amazing woman who's doing amazing things in the field of technology, Aww. computing, broadening participation, you name it, she does it. Right. Like I just want to carry her back to the airport one day. Like that <laughs> is my like it's a dream. if I could just touch the hem of her garment. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> I'm not worthy.
0: <laughs> yes, and she is definitely the definition of mm. black girl magic. Absolutely. So received that. Thank you. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So
1: we wanted to have her here because we I know she's awesome mm-hmm. so you just wanted to talk to her about you know just some things what she's working on what she's been doing things like
2: that well i'm a good company thanks for the invitation i am so excited to be here
0: so i want you to tell the people what you do because i really don't know there's so many things <laughs> <laughs> that you're involved in that it's hard to just say like this is who she is. This is right. who Dr. Birch is. Right. So.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And that's hard to answer, I think, because I'm still trying to figure it out. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I I have a day job. I, I like you, am, am trying to inspire the generations to come. I'm trying to support those who are in the trenches right now. I'm also running my own thing, and Mm -hmm. I think if you don't know what you wanna do when you grow up, which is my narrative each day of my life, (laughs) then you try to do it all, and in the process, figure out what you don't like to do. And so I'm probably the embodiment of both of my parents. I'm uh, a, a person of all trades, like my daddy, But then I also provide that right touch of empathy to say, well, that may not be for me like my mama. So um, (laughs) I'm a work in progress. But I think at the end of the day, I believe in the power of owning my voice in this world. And to do that effectively for me has been through computing and technology. So does that help? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yes. I guess that helps. Yeah. Yeah it's still a little abstract well that's kind of how i think so maybe more questions <laughs> but we could ask we the get more some more pointed questions yeah. that's right that's right
0: so i want to take us back to rome georgia yes Is ma'am that yeah. what we talked i'm about? impressed that's right not rome italy i'm not italian
2: <laughs> but rome georgia wow
0: mm, so what what was that like yeah
2: I grew up on a farm. No, I'm
1: kidding. I
0: I did not grow up on a farm. You have a
2: cow named Bessie. But I did, you know, I have two siblings. I'm the oldest of three. And uh, we grew up in what those around us would call the boonies. Mm -hmm. You know, you Mm -hmm. had to walk to the end of the road to get to the road to take the bus to get to school. Right. Oh, wow. And that was normal, right? That was normal for us. And I grew up in a family where my parents always supported education and always taught me as the oldest to take care of your sister and your brother, which is Mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. And it for me was an opportunity to learn how to be at my best in uh, a society and a community where people cared about me. My, I lived near all of my family, Mm -hmm. at least most of them. Uh, We went to school together, went to church together and it well, it was the beginning of me, of how I see the world. And I remember being really young, maybe six or seven years old, and for the first time thinking, yo, well not yo, but yo, <laughs> right? I see myself as a black girl. And that for me, I think, helped me to shape who I was. I didn't know what that meant, but I remember mm-hmm. for the first time actually extending my hands in front of me and mm-hmm. saying, yo, I'm black. Oh, and I'm a girl wow. too.
0: And I remember being really young, right? And that's a big deal because that's existentialism,
2: right? And I'm like, I had no idea what that is. But early on, it shaped who I am and who I considered myself to be. And I think even as someone who looked after my family and looked after my siblings, who are both um, incredibly amazing adults now um, and who continue to teach me, it became part of my narrative for the world. How can I give back? How can I be... The black girl who grew up in a small town um, and have the impact across the globe in a way that changes at least one life, if not more. So that's kind of how I started out, Mm -hmm. asking those questions.
0: Why not? How come? Let's do it. So did your parents kind of formulate this inquisitiveness? Like, Did they inspire you to ask those questions or were you just precocious in that way like it's not just who you were
2: it's who i was but i also grew up in a in a time where i'm not that old by the way but i grew up <laughs> in a time where you you set down and you listen to your elders mm-hmm. right and so i've always been a person who asked a lot of questions and as i've gotten older i've become more comfortable in how i show up in asking my questions mm-hmm. which is as in which is an important evolution um but when i was a kid i was i sat around a lot of elders and listened (laughs) and I was at the feet of those at the table listening Mm -hmm. and trying to learn what it's like to show up with Mm -hmm. wisdom and grace and knowledge and perhaps a voice that the broader world wasn't ready to hear Mm -hmm. right and what does it mean to still elevate in that space and so I wasn't the one who was always pulling on the coattails, asking questions, but mm-hmm. I was always the one who was listening and watching and paying attention, and I think that's in many ways part of my introverted nature. Okay. I am a proud introvert. Ask. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, which I don't exactly believe because I well, know, I'm learning this thing about introverts that they can have these extroverted tendencies days, <laughs> days <laughs> moments. No presentations they can present themselves as extroverted well let me tell you see <laughs> so
2: we're talking about growing up I grew up um as someone who was highly influenced by my grandmother my well both my maternal and my paternal grandmothers but my maternal grandmother used to force and I use that word very purposefully <laughs> but forced Me to participate in these oratorical contests. And if you're not familiar with those, they are events where you write your speech, Mm -hmm. you memorize it, and you recite it in front of an audience.
0: Yep. Was this in like a church? You know the church was was going to be part of that. You know this Southern. Totally (laughs) Southern. Yo, (laughs) I claim and embrace my (laughs) Southern roots.
2: Big city girl with a country heart. Um, (laughs) And I hated it. I did not like it because it forced me to get in front of people and to talk, which was not comfortable for me. Mm. And, I never had a choice. <laughs> it was something I always fought against, but my grandmother, without batting an eye, let me know that it was not an option. For me <laughs> Thank not you, grandma.
1: Thank you, grandma. I'm telling you, grandmas know. <laughs> yes, and yeah. um, every year
2: we would do this. And I tell you to this day, it is one of the things I am most grateful for. Mm-hmm. Because when I show up in a meeting at work or when I show up any place to talk to executives or when I had to speak to captains and generals in the in the in the defense industry, I didn't have to worry about how I showed up because I already had that presence. Mm-hmm, I had that yeah. presence of self and voice and accountability. I could then focus on what I was saying, which for me is really important. And that training of growing up, learning how to speak, learning that when I'm in front of people and I'm looking down and having that auntie in the voice saying, Look up and you know, in the <laughs> audience saying, Look up <laughs> you know, owning my voice <laughs> or it's okay, honey, it's okay. Take your time. Right? <laughs> right. Those kinds of, of things really helped me to grow, not just as a speaker, but as a person and having that connection and knowing that I could have that connection with people that I'm connecting with and talking to is, was, was something I learned really early. So that belies my introversion <laughs> and you know, people will say all the time, you are, you're an extra introvert. Really? And I am, absolutely an introvert you know there's ambiversion right which is sort of this connection between the two mm-hmm. um and some people will say that i'm an introvert and extroverts clothing but i am <laughs> full-fledged <laughs> full-fledged <laughs> introvert i know i don't act like it i'm <laughs> really shy so i don't look it and it totally i you know my personality type is also very rare i another introvert oh. <laughs> So I don't act it, but trust all day, every day, I could live and thrive in my house all day without anybody <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> With being around. So religious.
0: INFJ, that's a Myers-Briggs, yeah. Myers-Briggs. personality type. Yeah. It is. It is. So. I
2: won't give it away, but folks can look it
1: up, and, yeah. and that's me to a T. Oh, yeah. I need to go look it up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so what about your parents? Like, what did your parents do?
2: My parents were and are entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, my dad has always been someone who has created opportunities and explored them. He it, He's in construction. He's mm. an auto mechanic. He's a carpenter. He's our hero. He inspired me to want to have my own company someday and to recognize that if I wanted to do anything in this world, then I had to create that space for myself. Mm -hmm. And he was the first one who taught me, yo, I really can do whatever I want to do on my own terms. Um, my mom also for a while was an entrepreneur, owned her own business. And I'm proud to say recently completed her um her college degree. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And that was really exciting for all of us because she's one of those people who empowered me the first in our family to get a PhD certainly in computer science and my sister who is pursuing a graduate degree in counseling and Mm -hmm. my brother who is also an engineer Mm -hmm. I mean these are these are pretty amazing uh, careers that she and my dad of course but that she encouraged us as young women to uh, pursue and we thought it not robbery and could only be excited when she decided to also do the same for herself. <laughs> and so my That's parents awesome. are, uh, and continue to be, uh, have always been uh, a really big part of my life and inspire me in ways that I don't think they know. Mm-hmm. And I'll, sh- I'll, will finish by saying that when I was in grad school, Um, It was funny because I would speak to my parents and my family once a week, you know, call on Sundays Mm -hmm. uh, just to check (laughs) in because if they didn't hear from me, they knew something was happening. Yeah, I had to on the grind. Mm -hmm. You know how it is. And they could tell in the tenor of my voice uh, or the temper of my voice how things were going. Mm-hmm. And even though they'd never, they hadn't gone to college, they hadn't gone to grad school and they certainly didn't know what I was going through, but they knew me mm-hmm. and they knew how to encourage me and to give me the support that I needed to not just survive, but to thrive. Yeah. And okay. I think to have that kind of connection at home was for me enough to know, okay, I can really do whatever I want to do. Yeah. And I'm blessed to have that, and I'm, I'm so fortunate that uh, they instilled in me and my, my siblings the knowledge that you really can do whatever you want to do. And it's that connection, and then it's that narrative for me that was an intentional decision to also recognize that computing and technology was the vehicle to getting there.
1: So what was your first introduction to technology? Or just science in general? Well, I
2: always liked science. I liked science and math in school, but I didn't know much about tech or engineering. And in fact, my first real connection with computing was, and formally introduced to it, was learning typing in my senior year. High school, and Whoa, that really didn't wow. matter. It didn't count, right?
1: <laughs> right. But
2: officially, officially, I started college at Fisk University, HBCU in Nashville, Tennessee. What? What? HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, as a business major, and my work study appointment was in the computer science department. And every day, I'd walk in. The my manager, who was at the time the chair of the department, Mrs. Vivian Fielder would say to me, you know what, you're too good at this stuff not to change your major. So I didn't (laughs) know, (laughs) you know, and I'm doing stuff like helping with our first website, which Mm -hmm. was cool. I'm managing the lab, helping to troubleshoot the technology in there. Not something I'd ever done before, right? But I just Mm -hmm. started doing it. And she said, you're too good at this not to change your major. So I didn't know if she was just telling the truth and I'm really good at this or just trying to get more people into the program, right? (laughs) Either way, either way, I'm telling you, and she'd say that to me. And by the end of that first year, my first year in college, I had changed my major and I had my first internship. So to me, I thought, yo, if I can do this, if she can help me do this, how much more is there for me? Because she would say things like, oh, you're a woman, you're a person of color, you're smart at this stuff. You should really (laughs) think about this. And so if by the end of my first year that marker of having a an internship uh, for me was the icing, right? It was like, okay, maybe I can do something with this. And so that was my first introduction. I was in college, so I did not have the summer camp experience as a kid. <laughs> or, you know, I didn't have those people around me who were in engineering or tech. So that was, for me, the first introduction I had as
1: a college student. Wow. That mm-hmm. is really cool. And it's, it also speaks to the power of just like timely mentorship because right. there's been so many key points. I know in my life, Jeremy's life where there's mm-hmm. a mentor who came in and said, now turn this way. <laughs> this. You know, I know
0: you think you're doing what you're doing over there, but just look at this and wow. go in this direction. That's the story of my life currently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Same. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly. And then what does that mean? Right. Cause I was focusing on what she was telling me mm-hmm and wondering if that was the right thing to do not on the fact that this is a person who looks like me and she knows a few things so I was having Mm. to reconcile what she was telling me and how that really did matter and so yeah to your point Kyla what does mentorship mean and and it isn't just somebody telling you something it's someone whose experience is being brought to bear in that relationship Mm -hmm. and I had to trust her Right. Oh, yeah. And to trust that even though I was doing well in my business classes and really rocking the economics, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> there was more to the story. There was more to life. And again, I'm thinking business because my parents were entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't consider that tech or engineering or even the math that I was really good at would make much of a difference. So wow. it was really helpful to have that perspective.
0: So this was towards the middle of your undergraduate program? The straight beginning. The very like beginning. first oh, wow. day on campus. <laughs>
2: I had work study as part of paying okay. for my education, yeah. right? So my first week on campus was a mix of classes and getting acquainted with the computer
0: science lab. That's amazing. So yeah. that like intervention change the trajectory of your education completely entirely if you had a
1: work study in any other department that may not have happened we may have never met right that's
2: precisely the case and the reason I chose business is because I was actually uh, considered myself um, (laughs) a a master English uh, and literature student Mm -hmm. and um, while I took AP biology which I enjoyed and I took AP English I was on my way to being a business communicator, which was mm. an area of study that I didn't know what it was, but it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> but my university didn't have it as a major, but the closest thing was business. And mm-hmm, so okay. I was sort of like, okay, Russian roulette, where do I land here? And it was completely arbitrary that I chose mm-hmm. business, in part because I, you know, my parents are entrepreneurs. But I thought, well, maybe with business I can figure out what's next. And mm-hmm. so, yes, it was absolutely a change, a decision that changed the trajectory of my life. Because since then, I've not had to really apply for any job I've ever had. I've not really had to wonder what kind of learning opportunity I would need to Mm -hmm. uh, succeed or or advance. And every step I've taken has been divinely ordained, of course, Mm. but has been something that I haven't had to necessarily struggle with because of that decision to change to, I think, computing, because it not only changed my options in tech, but it changed the way I think about things, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. systems thinking that, what am I trying to accomplish that being really open to all the solutions, but honing in on what's working mm-hmm. and really thinking broadly about, you know, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? So, so it really helped me to be a master researcher in thinking
0: about um, what I wanted to do. So, yeah,
2: that's a good call out, Jeremy.
0: Yeah. So speaking of research that means at some point you got an exposure to those skills, and someone maybe pointed you in the direction of graduate school. Did you have right. s- another person who who took you that way, or was that something that you decided kind of on your own? Enter again, Mrs. Fielder. <laughs> my okay, shout boss. out Mrs. Yes, Fielder. Mrs. Fielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And you know she she was my first she she-rose and. Aww you know i struggled with computer science as a student Mm -hmm. i mean i did okay in the classes i mean we all know those of us who've taken the classes Mm -hmm. they can be a struggle and for somebody like me who would never programmed in my life it was the first time, <laughs> right. right? The first time I learned this stuff. Yeah. And I struggled up until I was graduating with, is this for me? Can I do it? Mm. And I would ask speakers who came in to talk to us. I would always ask Mrs. Fielder, other teachers, am I missing something? It seems that I should be doing better at this or getting better at this. And every time the answer was, you're doing the right stuff. You're doing the right things. Keep pers- you know, persevering. It's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't buy it. I thought, nah, surely I started this (laughs) game too late, right? Or something's just not happening for me. Sounds like some imposter
0: syndrome. Well, exactly. And who knew what that was at the time, right? But something just
2: wasn't working. And finally, it clicked for me where, again, in the conversation with Mrs. Fielder, (laughs) I was about to graduate. And I was entertaining a marketing job at Pfizer in Manhattan in New York City that I was like, yo, this is what I'm doing, Mrs. Fielder. (laughs) I'm going to the big city. She's like, "Um, no, you're not. (laughs) She's like, you need to go to graduate school. Because she knew that I had more to Mm -hmm. give. And she also knew that I was a learner and that I liked as a kid, again, to to ponder and think about questions and to focus on the important things that I wanted to be in this world. And after a conversation with her, she said, you know what, you should consider graduate school and I have a contact at North Carolina A&T that you should talk to. That's in Greensboro, another HBCU, mm-hmm. what, what? I gave pride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought, uh, okay, since I'm really not sure. I'll, I'll have the conversation. And within two weeks, I was accepted into grad school and went to get my master's uh, in computer science uh, to follow my bachelor's degree. And so that voice, again, was unctioning me to move on and keep going. And that's exactly what I did. So mm. like
1: getting your master's at an HBCU, did that like help to quell some of the imposter syndrome that you were having?
2: Of course not. <laughs> but, but you, because it was still
1: hard but you're around i would assume being around people who look like you that are doing this on a whole nother level would like give you some sense of comfort well
2: i mean there are two things there's being around people who look like you which was amazing mm-hmm. right and then there's a reality of the content you're learning
0: yeah right yeah. and she was around people who looked like her At
1: that's, true. At Fisk, that's true that's <laughs> true yeah so it's So, I mean, and there weren't
2: that many. I mean, there were never a lot who were in the computing or engineering, at least at our smaller liberal arts college, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there were certainly more people. But I appreciated that I didn't have to focus on being the only one, right? So Mm -hmm. that wasn't the narrative that uh, pushed me into deep thought. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, how do I make a career out of this? Mm -hmm. What's next for me? How do I... Uh, decide what makes sense for me because I was still struggling then. Cause at the time I was focusing on AI and agent based technologies, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, but was like, uh, oh, this k- kind of,
0: isn't it either. So and Artificial so, intelligence yes. wasn't your jam. AI it was, not,
2: was jam. not, I mean, it was cool and it was closer to the people side of technology. Cause I also knew that I didn't want to code all the time. Um, I could do it. And it was part of, how i created myself and part of the struggle right but it wasn't something that i want to do i wanted to be the creator of the systems i wanted to connect Mm. people to the right experiences and we weren't using those words at the time right Mm -hmm. but we were thinking about human computer interaction and you know what that means but i hadn't heard about that yet Mm -hmm. and so at least working with agent technology and artificial intelligence was a way of thinking about okay now this is something that uses the way people think in working with technology and creating um, technology in really meaningful ways. And so for me, I was fortunate that I didn't have to focus as much on being the only one because that was never my narrative at that point, right? Um, But I focused more and I was able to focus more on what does this mean for me in the longer term?
0: Yeah. So you got your master's. But you're Dr. Jameika Bird, so right. that means you went on and got a Ph.D. You did some somewhere. Because so I wasn't
2: done. <laughs> I wasn't convinced. But right. you right.
0: weren't really an imposter, so you
1: were. You I'm were. telling you. And I tell you this. <laughs> let me tell you this. You're right. I, I it didn't
2: stop there. And I think one of the amazing benefits of being at, at HBCUs is that we didn't have to focus on the things that trip us up.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, if we weren't there. So I didn't have to worry about being the only woman. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about being the only black student in the class. And with that comes a huge release that I could focus on the things that matter. Right. Right. What do I want to do? The school (laughs) part. Right. (laughs) And I tell you after finishing my master's I taught for a couple of years at Spelman College so there's a theme here if you're not following (laughs) I taught for a couple of years at Spelman College because I knew that I wanted to go back into the university setting and I thought Mm. well if I stay connected to a school that will help me and indeed it indeed it did because two years after starting at Spelman I decided to go back to graduate school and I went to Virginia Tech which is where I got my PhD and that
0: was very different. I mean, uh-huh. obviously <laughs> Blacksburg, w- Virginia, for those of you say who say don't know. Another <laughs> small rural kind right. of town. The only but-
1: thing black in Blacksburg is the name. <laughs> so I, It's Black Lesburg. right? right? Black-Lessburg. And
2: I don't have to say what you're already saying. So it was a very <laughs> different environment. Culturally, um, uh, the classes were different. And I tell you, I remember very vividly one of my first couple of weeks there uh, where I was the only black person in the room in the class. Right. And, and was dealing with some of those biases without really understanding why. Mm -hmm. But I remember being um, in a class and having this conversation around what does it really mean to, to belong and to, to have a space here and on the one hand, there's that experience. And on the other mm-hmm. hand, the professor is not able to use the projector from his computer, <laughs> uh-huh. right? And everybody in the class is like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to see the slides? <laughs> <laughs> and even he struggled with, you know, well, my computer isn't working and, and I do have these slides and, and I have to talk to them. And everybody is – their heads are exploding because wow. they're, like, not able to see this these slides. And I'm thinking um, – Why don't we just talk? Right. Right? Or (laughs) did you just forget the information? (laughs) What's the challenge? And it made me think, yo, I was because we didn't have a computer based, you know, presentation for showing slides and having class lectures. And it made me think, yo, I was really able to not only focus on the content, but the challenges and the lack of resources that a lot of our HBCUs have just equip me to think, yo, let's just do this. How about we yeah. just focus on this? Because everybody was was panicking because things were not happening or working the way they expected. And I remember thinking, this this is really not a big deal. Let's, <laughs> this is um... a Tuesday.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs>
2: right. And I remember being blown away by that. And that was the first moment at which I I truly appreciated my HBCU experience. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. for all that they all, for all that people may struggle with in the purpose or even in the benefit of HBCUs, the beauty of what they offer is the opportunity to focus on what matters in an environment where you are certainly... Um, not forced to be the only one but it prepares you for when you are in the spaces where you're the only one where you can thrive and that I really appreciated in that moment of you know the sky is falling we can't use the presentation (laughs) you know we can't even use the projector how do we proceed (laughs) that
0: is hilarious so Jamaica what inspired you in graduate school what was graduate school like for you
1: Hmm.
2: I hit the ground running. So I'd already had uh, and if let's let's pick up at 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 Virginia Tech, Mm -hmm. I already had my master's. And so in some ways, I hit the ground running and was perhaps in a different space than students who were just starting out in grad school there. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it was an opportunity to grow other parts of myself. As, as much as I grew in learning content. So I was a leader. I was the president of our grad student council. Mm-hmm. I um, organized the group of us who studied our quals together. Mm-hmm. I was the person who also helped in setting up our activities that we would conduct as part of our department. And so mm-hmm. I saw myself growing. And actually, able to embody what leadership in tech might look like, uh, in many ways, I think because I was willing. First of all, right? There aren't many people who yeah. are willing to be was just the council lead and that yeah. kind of thing. I was
1: especially to say this don't
0: sound like no introvert well, to me. Well,
1: well <laughs> let her be herself. Okay,
0: just I let was tell you. all of us have that similar story, and I think just yeah. about yeah. every person that we've had on the podcast during mm-hmm. this season is the same way like they Mm -hmm. were leaders and change agents on their campuses and it's interesting how black women Mm -hmm. tend to be that person Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just a collection of our experiences Mm -hmm. that informs that but Mm. we are all that way Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so I feel like we take up that labor because it's like you almost feel like if I don't who's going to I see this need why 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 shouldn't I step in yeah. Yeah.
0: That's
2: exactly one of the two re- I have two hypotheses. Okay. Since we're talking about being researchers. So mm-hmm. the first is, you know, I grew up that way. I grew up taking care of my family, my my siblings and so that was a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um but the other part of it is to your point, to both of your points. Because there were so few of us of color in the department, I also knew that at least if I was involved I would be part of whatever those discussions were. I would be part of creating a climate that was inclusive. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize it at the time, right? Mm -hmm. But I figure, well, if I'm not part of who's doing the do, Mm -hmm. then I know that I'm going to be
0: limited in terms of how I'm going to be able to relate to what's done. Yeah, Yeah, I find that so so interesting. So I, I feel the same way. Like I don't think I ever thought about how much I created this space yeah. that was inclusive of everyone That's in a right. space that wasn't necessarily inclusive at all. That's
2: yeah. right. And its not it wasn't necessarily intentional, right? I didn't go yeah. out yeah. say, hey, we're
0: going to do this for black and brown and, right. and, right. and right. different kind
2: of people, men and women. It was that, I think it's an automatic lens, but also that mm. recollection that, even if I'm not creating something for black students, for example, mm-hmm. which didn't really make sense in a PhD program in computer science at Virginia Tech, <laughs> right? At least what I could say is I'm going to be part of it, yeah, right? Yeah. And I know that I will like it, which had nothing to do with my race or gender, but just with the fact that I was involved and I had a knowledge of what was happening. And in many ways, that was how I could connect with mm-hmm. other yeah. people.
0: And it creates a sense of community, right? Absolutely. Which I think... Uh, doctoral programs Mm -hmm. don't necessarily promote unless Mm -hmm. your faculty advisor just happens to be somebody who cultivates that. Yeah. That's Um, right. It's, it's just uncommon Mm -hmm. to find. And every once in a while you'll, you'll see some graduate students who decide external to their faculty advisor that we're going to be a family and we're going to support each other. Mm -hmm. That's right. But often in, in the tech space and engineering it's more contentious, right? Right. Like I'm competing with Mm -hmm. you for the time of my advisor. And so I don't necessarily want to be your friend or want to support you. So did you experience challenges like that in your lab or were you? I think there were some and
2: yes. And to everything you've said, plus a billion. Right. (laughs) And you know, for, for us, because I was studying human computer interaction Mm -hmm. and the, the space of that intersection between technology and people, I think there was more of a willingness to engage with each other. Mm-hmm. So to your point, we created that community for ourselves. And I still keep in touch with a lot of those people now That's after we're great. done with grad school. But you're right. We weren't really connecting much or I wasn't connecting much with the software engineering students mm-hmm. or the network and architecture students or the operating system students. Mm-hmm. Right, And... Um, For us at Virginia Tech, we have a center for HCI, human Mm -hmm. computer interaction. And so that was our own way of creating community for ourselves. But even within that space, you know, there were different projects and different faculty and different students. And so everybody doesn't always come together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for those who are willing and at least uh it gave us that space to connect ourselves in meaningful ways.
1: Yeah. So doing HCI in like a traditional C S department, like mm. I know I've witnessed it at other places. Did the other students who weren't doing HCI have there's like a stigma that, oh, what you're doing is easier, it's not as rigorous, you know, things. Dude, like yeah. That? And I had
2: that. <laughs> yeah. I had that question, right? Because my dissertation focused on um bringing people together through highly contentious communications and Mm. giving them an opportunity to resolve those contentions over technology. Hmm. And I had an amazing committee and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to bring these couples into the lab and have them argue, which is effectively what I did. Right. (laughs) And I had them argue across different tech media and yes, we had IRB (laughs) approval (laughs) we were you know no people these are real, real arguments, arguments oh dude gosh. it was a whole thing wow. we might have to do another podcast about how they went down
1: <laughs> but yo
2: we had couples coming into like, the lab like couples like like couples married like, living together oh wow. dating now that in relationships yeah well they had to be married or at least in relationships because they were vested yeah right oh, they were vested I in see. the relationship and so having an argument or recreating a past mm. argument wouldn't make their wouldn't it make their relationships implode. But we did take <laughs> we did take care to ensure I'm looking at the camera, I'm looking at you two I'm looking at the IRB powers that be.
0: Right. We
2: did all the right things to make sure that this was healthy. We even connected with the campus counseling center to provide resources. (laughs) But the point is we were using and engaging in at the time questions that were just part of becoming part of the mainstream of how we connected online. Social media, right? How do you stay connected perhaps when you're not living in the same space or when more and more of our communications are, online and and virtual. And so it was really starting to change the game at least for me anyway in how I saw technology as an enabler or a a hindrance as it mm-hmm. were. And so I would say to my committee at least in the first go rounds, yo, is this is this okay in computer science? <laughs> department (laughs) right because this is this is psychology this is sociology this is communication it's Mm psycholinguistics right Mm -hmm. it's all the things that i actually loved
0: but Mm -hmm. questioned is this computer science isn't that amazing how where you started kind of circled back oh, yeah. through your dude you connected all of the pieces of <laughs> right. you into you your win dissertation. the gold star of the day that's exactly right and so
2: what <laughs> i was learning is i'm pulling together all these things that i really liked which were not inherently technical yes right, right. we're talking language we're talking business mm-hmm. we're talking entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. we're talking what do you want to be when you grow up mm-hmm. right it's not i want to be a tech creator but i was learning in that moment, in that experience, how to connect those passions in a way that made me not only marketable—arguably, right? <laughs> People can say I'm yeah, maybe not, but but that also may, meant that I had a job in the tech space.
0: Yeah, you you literally wove your passions together yeah. and created, mm-hmm. and that's what a doctoral degree can do for you, yes, right? Like yeah. you have the opportunity to create something novel and new and in a space that nobody's ever heard nobody's of right heard of. and you make yeah. it scholarly because right. they're your passions you know the research you know the work yes, so yeah. that thank you for is calling that wonderful. out that is amazing i appreciate
2: it and i'll just end this by saying too to your point and to my own feelings of inadequacy i would say to my committee can i do this and they said yo we're your committee and we're saying it's okay,
1: so right. what's the problem? And that's all I needed to hear. And that support is amazing, because like, just back to the whole like East Coast, West Coast sort of beef <laughs> between like HCI and m- more traditional computer science, Like, I always think of it as they think, oh, you're doing psychology with mm. diet computer science or mm. computer science life. But it's like, no, no, no. I have these advanced degrees in computing, right. and I have a technical knowledge in this whole other field or mm-hmm, these other fields. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I that's my main gripe was like the perception of HCI research. Just because you deal with people mm-hmm. doesn't make your work less technically sound, doesn't make you less mm-hmm. of a computer scientist, it's person in technology. So I love the fact that you can just weave all these things together and like exactly what you did did not exist
0: at the onset of you trying to, you know, start off in this career. And also like just timeline wise sounds like you were in a very new research area period, right? Yeah. HCI was not around and prevalent across the country it's still not very prevalent across the country Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I mean of course it would feel kind of against the grain in some ways right oh totally my I remember having conversations with my advisor and she would
2: say you know what this kind of research will make you famous wow she said that to me and I remember I remember that vividly because on the one hand, I thought, okay, that's pretty fly, right? That's cool. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm like, I'm just trying to finish. I'm just Yay. trying to get, get out of here. <laughs> and so I, I, I think, too, I had to come to terms really quickly, too, with why I was getting a PhD. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't necessarily to become famous or to uh, be... a a center of attention which Mm -hmm. actually eventually came right I mean at some at some point a couple years later I was featured in the New York Times and Mm -hmm. and had the fort fort good fortune to to be recognized for the work that that I was doing but at the time I'm like yo I'm just trying to get on the other side Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it 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 wasn't something that came quickly for me but I I finally recognized that I was getting a PhD in part to really be able to do whatever I wanted to do in this world. Yes. Right. Cause there it's, it really is a gold card yes. yeah. or a platinum card. Yeah. Yes, right. It but it also for me was an opportunity to show others, especially those who look like me that you can do this too. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about some of the not so good moments of the experiences I had in grad school and even coming to terms with my own power and owning that power, but I think at the end of the day, you cannot become it easily if you don't see it. Yeah, It's not impossible, but it makes it much easier to see, and I wasn't seeing that around me, and mm-hmm. I had made up in my mind that, you know what, I'm going to do this, not because I'm so impassioned about it, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, you have to be to do a PhD, yes, let's be honest, Absolutely. Um, but my real interior focus in many ways was you know we got to show somebody else it can be done this right. is a
0: be the change you want to see in the world that's one of my right. favorite quotes that's yeah. my wi-fi name at home <laughs> be, the <laughs> change. be the change because it's the one of my favorite quotes
1: it's so okay. true it's so true well, that's yeah. so funny. I literally just sent a meme to one of my mentees yesterday that said, <laughs> um, I'm going to paraphrase if I can't find it quickly, but it is, basically, you were brought to this mountain to show others that you can overcome it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is her all the time. Mm-hmm. All yeah. the time. Bless you. I feel that. that. Yeah, you were assigned this mountain to show others it can be moved. Mm-hmm. That's. And I, mean, I, I
2: think yeah. I'm still doing that, right? I, mm-hmm. I look and see so many amazing women, irrespective of her color, but women who are really shifting the landscape in tech, in design, which is another space that HCI really lives. Um, um, But I have a hard time finding someone who's done what I want to do. Yeah, and it's in part because I don't really know what that is yet. I know what mm-hmm. I don't want to do.
0: Yes, but <laughs> which is huge. It's right. huge. That's a huge. That is probably big the piece. most monumental thing that you can do is decide right. I ain't doing that. Right. Plus a billion for that journey. <laughs> plus a billion,
2: not plus one plus a billion. Um, but I am inspired by what other women are doing. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people look at me and say, well, what are you doing? What exactly <laughs> do you do? Because I do do it all, yeah. or at least believe that I can, but I also believe that you can't do it all very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what I've also learned and had to learn to do is, is to be very protective and judicious with how I spend my time, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you can do too much of a good thing and not
0: have impact. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that's absolutely oh, yeah. true.
0: So speaking about all of the things that you do, let's talk about what actually is paying the bills. Mm, <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. Because we all got to get paid somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know that you work for Capital One. I do.
2: I've been at Capital One for just over two years and I'm part of our design organization which we call one design Ooh. and design is really the space and indus- industry where we do human-centered design work okay mm-hmm. so we have partners who are product uh, partners tech engineering product management and product owners uh, where we help to change
0: making for good so that's awesome could you like define human-centered design work like if yeah. you're going to give some examples of what that looks like to A layperson.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll give it in the context of what we do at Capital One. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're trying to, we're always asking the question, what's in your wallet? Mm -hmm. Well, think about whose wallets are out there, right? We have a lot of different kinds of people in the world and thus lots of different kinds of customers. And so it makes sense to understand what kinds of products should we be offering? How do we ensure that the experience that people have with their bank and with their money is seamless. It works for their needs. And for One Design as an organization, of course, we are asking those questions. How do we ensure that the person, the people are at the center of what it means to bank? And for Capital One, you might know too, that we're moving away from the brick and mortar, Mm -hmm. spaces and we're moving to more of an experience around how do you work with and engage with your money. And we have more cafes now where you can grab coffee as you're doing your banking on the go. And so (laughs) as more of those experiences evolve, and if we think about it, that's more of how we live these days. How do we support those kinds of interactions? And as a designer at a bank, our questions are around making that experience as seamless as possible making it as fruitful as possible, and supporting as broad a range of experiences as possible.
1: Part of what you're doing helps to um, get engineers and developers to think with more of a design sort of flavor to what they're doing. So what are the challenges there for like trying to get people to be in this mindset that didn't traditionally like their major may not or may, may not even be people who think that way?
2: Great question. And I would argue that we're wonderfully suited as designers to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And in particular, because I'm a computer scientist. So here we Mm -hmm. come, here I come with that lens of the technical background, but also that willingness and interest in wanting to support the person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with where he or she is. And so it's a conversation that we keep having where we connect with our partners. We connect across the aisle to say, I know that we have to get this product out the door or I know we have to develop and put in the time to codify this requirement, but are we looking at the person as the unit of analysis? And I'm a researcher, mm-hmm. so I'm saying that term <laughs> so that we can ensure that what we're shipping out the door actually meets a need Yeah. now. And that works both ways, right? We want to make sure that we're compliant. We want to make sure that we're following the right kinds of regulations because we are a bank and those, those kinds of things. But I think as designers and from a human-centered lens, we ask the question around what's the real need? What's Mm -hmm. the human need? And how can we ensure that what we do create meets that need and we're not just creating something just because we want to?
0: So I assume that that involves a lot of like relationships with people and going out and getting that real data to see if people are actually going to use what you're going to create right. and in different contexts. Too. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So we do a lot of research where we bring people in mm-hmm. and we talk to them. We get their feedback about their feelings around money And similar to my experience with bringing couples into the lab and having them argue when they really (laughs) did argue, people will talk about their money. They'll talk about Mm. their relationships. It's it's a personal experience, right? And all of us have that relationship. And if we can learn a little bit more about how people relate to their money, we can help them to better manage it. We can help those who don't have to get more of it. We can help those who are trying to grow credit to be better at it. Whatever Mm. that thing is, we can do. And to your point, Dr. J, yes. (laughs) It's about relationship building because I actually have just been working on a project where we worked with our product tech partners Mm -hmm. to integrate some more design and design thinking into their work which is not inherently a part of their work, that yep. their, mm-hmm. their workflow. Yep. But it was such an amazing experience because now they can say, and they have said to us, yo, we have this experience of working with this one design team that we can say, we've got this great standard now. We've yeah. got this prototype that we've developed that is human centered. And we right. can say that because mm-hmm. we don't have the same lens and perspective as the designers
0: do. So that's been amazing. That is super cool. So I know outside of, your work work, you have other work. (laughs) Because the work never ends. Right, never
2: ends. The work never ends. Yes, indeed. In fact, I'm also co-PI for a a couple of National Science Foundation-funded grants. And similar to IMCS, I think it's important that we have a broader conversation Mm -hmm. around how to get, uh, how to make computer science certainly a, a mainstay of uh, how we teach and grow and learn, mm-hmm. especially for populations that look like us. Yeah. And in that similar space, I am co-PI of a couple of program uh, uh, pro- projects um, and a third that I'll talk about in short order as well. But the first two uh, uh, really focus on building the capacity of our young girls and our young black and brown girls in particular in computing and computational thinking. And the first is GR, what we call GRT, Girls Rock Tech, where we partnered with Black Girls Rock, which is led by uh, Miss Beverly Bond out of Mm -hmm. New York City. And it's been an amazing experience working with her and her team because they have already an amazing story, an amazing narrative around what it means to empower Mm-hmm. women and, it's and black women right yeah. because the if we know alone right. alone so you might recall the the shows, the award shows on BET mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we are celebrating amazing amazing women yeah. uh, in very different areas but our work with them was to add a computing component to their amazing leadership model. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a great opportunity because not only do we know or many of us know what that Black Girls Rock brand is, mm-hmm. but to connect that to computational thinking and to computer mm. science, a space yeah. where we are not very well presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm saying presented for sure because there's something about that word underrepresented, but yeah. you know, oh, yeah. we'll get, uh, get another day. <laughs> oh, but yeah. there's something about <laughs> connecting those really, two different gulfs together in a way where we're empowering our young black women uh, or future black women to recognize that you can be interested in art and music and creativity and fashion and entertainment And still be a techie. Yeah, they are
1: not mutually exclusive.
2: They are not exclusive. And in fact, I'm probably a poster child for that, right? right? Here I am, the (laughs) English, the
1: psycholinguistics, the business, and
2: then here comes tech. Mm -hmm. Tech is a vehicle. It is not the thing. And I think for our communities Mm. especially, we have to change the narrative about how we're getting girls interested and how we're keeping our community interested. Because coding for coding's sake is not where it's at. Right. It's being able to use it as a vehicle for doing these other things that they really find passionate, that they're really passionate about, and and that build wealth. We don't really even <laughs> yeah. talk about the wealth building piece yet, but this is all part of that narrative. And so, part of what we've been able to do, and and we've been really grateful for that connection and the the relationship with Black Girls Rock that continues into the other project that I'll share a little bit about too is that just this past summer uh, we had a camp, that the Girls Rock Tech experience culminated in a camp that we held uh, in Washington, Mm D.C., and most recently we were contacted by the office of Michelle Obama and were gifted tickets to attend uh, her book signing in Washington, D.C. just a couple of weeks ago as a result of our relationship with Black Girls Rock, which, again, is a part of how we're – trying to amplify the benefit of tech in these spaces Mm -hmm. and as another added bonus i was also contacted again out of the blue at least it felt to me (laughs) (laughs) to uh get be part of the pre-show for mrs obama's book tour show where i was able to talk about what i'm becoming and Mm. uh share a little bit about who we are um as a community Mm -hmm. of black women in tech and i was able to share my truth uh with 13,000 people in the Capital One Arena uh, in Washington, D.C. So it was a pretty amazing experience. And really, for the girls
0: that we brought to be able to see that, that made it worth it. So this is why... I'm freaking out. Yes, just this saying. is why I said at the beginning she yes. is the definition of black girl I'm magic, just, in case, she's so
1: modest. Yes,
0: in case you didn't really believe what I was saying at the beginning of this I'm just show, saying,
1: Michelle Obama and her—they good, they best friends. My heart is palpitating. potato. Did you Well, I didn't wow. say that, but I will
2: receive it. Yo, I'm, I, I tell you what I said. I became, I'm becoming. I, yeah. you know, because they were actually I was share, I shared the stage with other people, including Felicia Rashad, which is mm. so oh, amazing. She's amazing. Um, just a a beautiful spirit and a soul Mm. war and all that stuff. But, um, I, we were asked to get on stage. There were five of us to get on stage and talk about very briefly who we are and what we're becoming. And what I said was, I'm Jamika Burge. I am a Georgia native. I have a PhD in computer science and I'm a girl who rocks tech. And I'm becoming a mogul who's changing the game for black women and girls in computing and technology. Mm, I love it.
1: Yeah. I own
0: it. I own it. You better live that.
1: I told y'all just to touch the hem of her (laughs) garment. Oh, Lord (laughs) Jesus.
0: But we're still not done with all of your passions and the things that you do. We should keep moving. So, yes,
2: and the Girls Rock Tech Project actually filters into a broader broader project that we're working with that's, again, NSF-funded, which we call BRIGHT CS. And that's an acronym that means... Um, building student retention through individuated guided cohort training in computer science. And what that really means is that we are working with schools in northern Virginia and in New York City to do three things, to create curricula support for our black and brown girls in these schools, to provide a two week camp experience because we recognize that a camp or even a weekend or after school activities alone aren't sufficient to create experiences that keep our girls engaged. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece of that is a mentoring program where we are engaging mentors or who I like to call uh, co-creators and, co- and collaborators who, are, who look like the girls we're serving so yeah. that we are creating an ecosystem a computer science ecosystem for these girls such that they can see what it's like to become a computer scientist or to work or to be a computational thinker because I'm biased, right? (laughs) I certainly want all these girls to become computer scientists, but the reality is they may not. But if they think in terms of how they can solve problems more effectively Mm -hmm. if they can use a systems oriented type of mindset in solving problems they can position themselves to do whatever they want to do especially in the context of those things about which they're passionate and so given those three spaces and the fact that girls are participating in this program together in a cohort model Mm -hmm. they're building their own network they're building their own space and 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 narratives around what it means to succeed in these spaces so we're working with two schools in Northern Virginia two schools in New York City and we have a wealth of partners including Virginia Tech the Thurgood Marshall College Fund and Black Girls Rock uh, among other partners who are ensuring that we are bolstering these girls and providing the right kinds of resources at the right time and eventually what we'd like to see this turn into is opportunities to connect with IMCS right through mentorship and other organizations that allow us to not be sole creators of content but connectors yeah that's what it's about we want to connect girls you may not come to our program but if you learn about our work we can point you to other programs that are out there too perhaps they're closer to you
0: that's that ecosystem model that the the national science foundation has been all about in recent years so I, i can definitely see synergy between our organizations and the things that you do that's um, right. I know that you have a company, yeah. Too.
2: I do. It is my own tech consultancy and tech startup where I do a lot of work in helping partners identify areas to both either apply human centered design to their work, mm-hmm. or to have broader conversations about what inclusion means mm-hmm. and and what I like to call intersectionality because there are these different slices of who we are as people that help to connect us as mm-hmm. opposed to separate us.
1: So can you like briefly just tell us what does intersectionality even mean?
2: Well, intersectionality as a term was coined many years ago and we hear uh, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw talk about, a lot about it as a way to describe the ways in which black women in particular uh, are either disenfranchised or, or seen as recipients of how they're treated in society right we can see that black women uh or race and gender are different streams of experiences Mm -hmm. and in many ways if you're familiar with the double bind by dr shirley malcolm where Mm -hmm. she talks about being a woman of color and uh or a person of color and a woman there are these two streams so that often we don't know if you're biased against us because we're women or because we are people of color right and often or both (laughs) right right? (laughs) and arguably as black women They're so intertwined Mm -hmm. that there's really no way of excising which is which. And so I use the term to talk about, at at least in the computational space, of us figuring out how do we connect with who we are as people? Because that allows us to be more inclusive. I might very well have more in common with a white brother from the South mm-hmm. because of our shared experiences mm-hmm. than I do from a sister from the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And that's not because, it's because we're moving beyond gender and mm-hmm. we're moving beyond race, mm-hmm. which are obvious, right? And we, we, we use and talk about DNI in a space because it helps us to identify these pockets of, of separates. But I think intersectionality allows us to focus on those different strands of who we are, whether it's race, gender, which are obvious, but also socioeconomics, mm-hmm. your sexuality where you grew up, your education, ability. right all the things that we don't often talk about but are part of what allow us to exist as humans and actually that's how we're able to be inclusive by recognizing that we all have these shared experiences that bring us together and help us to figure out well how do we get around the walls that are blocking us from truly collaborating and so that's part of what I would describe as intersectionality at least in the computing space
1: and you've consulted in this like in this sort of dimension for lots of really big names like so what kinds of of like things that you do I have yeah. now I Even did NC mention, Witt, Which is I, yeah I didn't mention dreams. I have a
2: day job so I do this kind <laughs> of work uh pretty sparingly but I have had the good fortune to uh work with Google and NC Witt in this very space and served as their a curator and a moderator for their black women and girls in computing round table that we had a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity to have a broader conversation around not only the needs of black women and girls in computing, but how do we move beyond a conversation to being actionable?
0: Yeah, And that's why we appreciate the funding that they've given us because really they've given us a vehicle to allow black women to communicate their stories. Right. And to highlight what it's like for, us in tech right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they've been doing that for quite a while and we're happy to have them back us mm-hmm. <laughs> in this yeah. podcast and everyone who's here is being funded through funding from them so
2: yeah NCWID and, and National Science Foundation and yeah. and and, mm-hmm. and other entities and mm-hmm. and I I also want to share that you know, that conversation at Google with with Google and NCWed a couple of years ago um, was a continuation of some conversations that we've been having around black women in computing more broadly. Mm-hmm. And it moved us. It moved our conversation where we decided, you know what? We just need to identify an organization in a community where it's for us and by us, Mm -hmm. which led us to start blackcomputer.org, which is spelled Black Compute, capital H-E-R, which really stands for the community of black women and girls who are in the space of computing and technology. And we are actually pre- prepping for our fourth conference, our fourth mm-hmm. convening next year um, in Washington, D.C., where we continue those conversations. So, yes, support uh, yes. and and conversations with organizations like NCWIT, but also the National Science Foundation and others of our funders for our conference and beyond mm-hmm. um, have helped to create the space for our own narratives. And, in fact, that's one of the things that we discovered in our own research is having our own voices and and sharing our own narratives in our own ways mm-hmm. yeah. is critical in mm-hmm. empowering us and our community
0: towards ultimate success. So Black Compute Her is not just an event, mm-hmm. right? It's an organization that you've created with several other black women in computing, right? So yeah. Yeah. more details. I want to know everything that you have to share about that.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Well, first you can find out more about Black Computer uh, at blackcomputer.org that's dot r.org so it looks as though it says it looks like black compute her but you say it like black computer right mm-hmm. like like uh like we say the word computer and so what's really fantastic is i'm one of three co-founders uh quincy brown and jukita thomas are my contemporaries, we were in graduate school around the same time and have our PhDs in computer science and approach the the community of supporting black women and girls from a research perspective. We are not just for researchers, but we recognize that there's a lot that goes into creating community and supports and resources for our unique needs. Mm-hmm. And so we started three years ago or a few years ago as a research working group where we brought 25 other women black women in this space and we hashed out what it looks like to create this kind of community and from that beyond uh, emerged uh research research rich and focused opportunities for us to lay out how to support this community and it's led to having three conferences so far and our next conference is in washington dc next april April 4th Mm -hmm. through 6th. (laughs) So we look forward to seeing folks there and are happy to also partner. And we know that there are lots of options out there for people, whether it's Afro Tech or Black Women Talk Tech. We actually see this as an opportunity to Mm complement the amazing programming that's already out there.
0: Yes, and we try to support you as much as possible, sending yeah. and you do students to you and do. faculty to mm-hmm. participate every year. So. Our own Kyla yeah, was a speaker last year, last year. So <laughs> I mean
2: we're we're the same community, right? Yeah. And I think the challenge people have is well how do I know where to go? And there's so many options and you're right, there are. And I think what separates Black Computer from these other organizations. Um, And separate is a harsh word. We're sort of complements to what's out there. But we really do take a a, a research specific space in understanding exactly what are we trying to accomplish and then to take that perspective and to provide the resources to black women, black girls in all of computing. We're not focused on Silicon Valley solely. We're not focused focused on uh, black women entrepreneurs only. We're actually trying to meet all the spaces for where we live and work in
0: the computing space. And it is a beautiful time. I know I cried <laughs> when I went like it was just so yeah. emotional to be uh, in a space like that. It's huge, yeah. right? It
1: feels like chicken soup for your black computing soul. Like it's <laughs> yes. just you come just That's I just awesome. come out so full. Like even when I spoke like telling my own story and I've told it so many times I I cried. Like mm. just just having like the the sisterhood, the camaraderie, just the sharing of experiences like it just feels just it yeah. filled some. It charged some battery. I did not know I had. Bless you.
2: <laughs> what co- What tech conference can you go to that mixes? Uh, tech speak because we've had Latanya Sweeney who is amazing in uh, privacy and computing mm-hmm. and just how do we use data mm. and mix that with Michaela Angela Davis who was one of our keynotes That's as right. well right mm-hmm. so where can you and to talk about health and wellness mm-hmm. we do that all and we again are very h- careful to say that we're not just a, c- a conference for black women we're also black women yeah. who are putting together this experience and so that really means a
0: lot yeah so this has been a wonderful conversation. Oh yeah. I have learned so much about you and I admire bio? you way more than I already did. I don't know if that's even possible. Likewise, that's but right. I've bless you. It's amazing. Your story, how you've been able to impact our community, the things that you're doing for black women and girls, mm. it's It's inspirational. It's phenomenal. And we are so honored that you would take time out to be here on our podcast. Yes.
1: Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence today. (laughs) With her black girl magic. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. It's
2: hard to say goodbye, but I wouldn't be here without you. So I look forward to continuing to link arms as we move forward. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. So where can people find you on social media? Well, they can find me at Jurius on instagram and also at jdburge on twitter and you can find me
0: on jameekaburge.com as always you can find us on our website modernfigurespodcast.com send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com and follow us on twitter kyla's at dr underscore kyla and i'm at jeremy wasa Until next time, drink some water, eat some vegetables, and be extra like guacamole
1: because guacamole adds quality and isn't just extra for no reason.